Montana. And I'm Samantha. And you're listening to Reaper Tales. And I finally have my mic up in my new <laughs> house. And it feels great. What are we covering today? <laughs> you honestly have no idea because I haven't told you. No, tell tell the listeners what I named this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so we always put, she always puts a title when we're going into like the recording session. And she put on the title, what was it? Something Christmassy, I assume, I think yes. is what it was. <laughs> I can only see part of it now. Because um, I did not tell her anything about what I was covering today. Not a single thing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So today... We are going to talk about Alabama's Christmas history. Strange and sad, but true. Oh, great. As if I weren't already depressed. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to give you a few reasons why the Christmas season isn't always the jolliest of seasons. Let's put it that way. Of all people, I am well aware of this. <laughs> and look, dear listeners, we want to cover a few things before we jump into this episode. Number one, and I'm going to apologize for this. I think it might have been both of us that would have agreed with this, but I'm going to go ahead and apologize. We said we were going to give you a bonus episode, but some of us struggle with seasonal depression and we have a lot going on. That would be me. And... I didn't have the mental capacity to record an extra one for you this week, but we're going to try and do it for you next week. So it'll be a late Christmas gift for all of you. Number two, and what? It'll be worth the wait, by the way. It'll be worth the wait. And also part of her part will. I don't know about mine, but. Oh, no, definitely will. Um, And I want to thank Samantha for being so understanding of my, um, Mental illness. <laughs> well, of course, I have my own. So, <laughs> uh, and for those of you who have reached out and asked if I was okay because I have seemed a bit bummed out, I don't know where you got that from. <laughs> uh, I'm fine. I have a therapist, I have a psychiatrist, I have a great support system. I am just, um, everybody struggles with something and mine is seasonal depression. And this year is just hitting really hard. You know, all you can do is talk about it and try and work through it. So that's what I'm doing. Number two, I've had some of you, dear listeners, try and add me on Facebook recently. And I have not accepted your friend request. My Facebook is private. My personal Facebook is private. Samantha's is private as well. And the reason for this is because of a myriad of things, but the majority being that we have close family and uh, co-workers on our Facebooks. And so we will not accept friend requests on Facebooks as of right now because we are small beans. And bitty, little bitty beans. Yeah, we are not public figures. Uh, so as of right now, those are going to continue to stay private. If you really feel the need to add us on social media, on our personal accounts, uh, I suggest going over to Instagram where we don't have that kind of following on that social media, and we are more likely to accept it. With that being said, I don't spend a lot of time on my social media. Uh, Samantha handles all of the social media for me. That's true. 
So if I don't accept it, it's not because I don't want you on there on Instagram. It's simply because I have She ADHD. doesn't know how to work it. <laughs> <laughs> that too. So be patient with us. We're trying. You know, we do have full-time jobs and this podcast is kind of like our our joyous thing and we want to continue to have joy out of it. Um, so add us on Instagram if you want to do that. But the best thing that you can do to find news or anything about the podcast is to add the podcast social media because that gets updated more than either one of our social medias combined. True personal social medias also that's the best way to interact with us too because then both of us are seeing it and you you get to toss something in the air to figure out who's going to respond first but you can also interact with us there yeah that's true and if you respond to the reaper tales uh social media half the time i am on my personal when i respond to it to make a joke so you're welcome (laughs) With that being said, me, what are we drinking? I forgot to pull this up on my thing. Oops. So unprepared. I, I know. Ugh. We're drink. I'm so glad you asked me. <laughs> uh, we're drinking the cranberry margarita. And it, it is delicious. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's we, dangerous. We already tried it. Uh, so to make the cranberry margarita, you're going to need two ounces of cranberry juice, one ounce of fresh lime juice. It doesn't have to be fresh. I just add in the concentrate. Yeah, just keep that in my fridge. Uh, 1.5 ounces of tequila, 0.5 ounces of, no, I didn't even (laughs) put that in there. I think it's coin true, coin true. Yeah. Troll. Something along those lines. I didn't have that. I didn't know what it was. Let's see. Um, I, uh, it's a liqueur. Oh, well, I kind of like picked this because it's basically what I had on hand. Yeah. Uh, and then you're going to do <laughs> 0.25 ounces of simple syrup or agave. And uh, you can garnish it with lime and whatever. Um, you're going to combine all ingredients into a shaker with ice, you're going to shake until it gets frosty on the outside of the shaker. Strain into a glass over ice. Garnish as you please. And cheers. It is delicious. Cheers. Now, I'm ready to hear about the history of Christmas in Alabama. Maybe. Well, you have your drink. So, step one, get your drink. Um, so, I was actually trying to brainstorm what to do for this episode because I was really at a loss. I didn't want to do anything. Um, I didn't want to do like a murder or something like that that happened on Christmas. One, we already did one of those. And two, I just wasn't feeling it. Um, so I was trying to brainstorm, figure out what we were going to do. And I came across this article on AL.com. And, um, which as always, I'll, I'll link all the articles in the show notes, the al.com article I'm referencing will be up at the top. Most of this is coming from that article just because I don't know how this person got all this information in one place. It must've taken them forever. I did research each and every one of them and the ones that I could find more information. I added some, there are a few, I didn't add anything to because they're cases that I may cover 
in the future in more detail. And so I didn't want to add any more detail to those. Um, but basically it goes through the state of Alabama's history for the time around Christmas. Some of them are kind of more towards early December, but all of them are, are right around Christmas. Um, and one of the first things that it started with was that Alabama was the first state in the U.S. to declare Christmas a legal holiday. What? 34 years before the nation declared it a national holiday. Okay. Which I found interesting. <laughs> that being said, Christmas doesn't seem to be too kind to this state, judging by the number of cases. I'm going to go over over more than 200 years of history. In this state. Perfect. I'm so. here for it. I, I do want to, before you get into it, one last okay. thing. I forgot to tell you this before we got on, on the mics or whatever. Uh, there was a crime that happened in our house today. Um, <laughs> so you've seen my nails, right? Yes. Yeah, I, I sent them to you last night. You notice they're, how they're, they're short? Beautiful. Yeah. Well, you know, they're acrylics. Uh Dear listeners, I don't do a lot of like beauty prepping and stuff like that. And the nails are the one things that I do, but these were super long and it was, I can't. <laughs> I wondered how you were going to function with them. I can't. So the crime that occurred today was I didn't have acrylic clippers to clip the end of the nails to make them shorter. So I. <laughs> <laughs> I used dog nail clippers. <laughs> it works. It's fine. But now I'm going to tell people my friend trims her nails with dog nail clippers. <laughs> I was just like, I went to order some on Ulta because there's an Ulta by my house. And I was like, I'll just like go around and pick them up like curbside or whatever and they were out and i was like what am i gonna do and i was sitting in the bathroom like looking at them <laughs> and we clipped the dog's nails earlier this week so they were in well our dogs have their own bathroom so i was in that bathroom and the clippers were on the counter i was like i wonder <laughs> i know what i'm getting you for christmas <laughs> So enjoy that. <laughs> enjoy that little story now. <laughs> oh, so, you know, pro tip, if you don't have anything else, use your dog, dog, dog's nail clippers. Works like a charm. <laughs> it did. It did. Oh, my God. You know what? We're problem solvers here. Yeah. Well, this podcast is where I come to air out all my dirty laundry. <laughs> anything that's super embarrassing for me. Why not? <laughs> Wait, I do that every day anyway. It doesn't True. matter. Very true. All right. Let's okay. Get into it. Well, this and TikTok. So that's true. <laughs> so I'll start with the most recent. I probably should have looked to see if there was anything since here at this point, but I didn't because um, there was more than enough information just based off of what I got from the article. But we're going to start in 2010. And it starts with um, a quote from the Birmingham News reported on December 15, 2010. The Grinch may have stolen Christmas, but in Birmingham, it was copper thieves who torched a Christmas tree in downtown's Lynn Park. What? 
Birmingham police are investigating the early morning incident where copper thieves took decorations off the holiday display and burned down the tree. Officials say the incident occurred around 4 a.m. Thieves took the took off the lights and used gasoline to separate the plastic from the copper, resulting in the apparent accidental tree torching. The wires, the officials said, contained about $20 worth of copper. Public work crews this morning took down the charred remains of the holiday display. The 35-foot Norwegian spruce came from North Carolina and won't be replaced. Melvin Miller, City Parks and Recreational Director, said this is the first time that there has been any major damage to this display. It's not good. It kind of dampens the season, but we still know what this season is all about. It's not about a tree, Miller said. This is the first time this has ever happened. We've had ornaments taken from the tree, but nothing like this. It was reported the original tree and trimmings cost about $7,500, and there was a suspect described as being a white male in his 50s with gray hair and approximately six feet tall. To put a nice spin on this, because I want to leave it on a downer, I wanted to mention that while the city was not going to replace the tree, a group of radio stations donated another tree, and then donors and leaders from neighboring cities actually provided decorations, so they ended up putting up a tree anyway, and then decking it out so these i don't know if you if you or dear listeners remember but 2010 ish right around that time um and maybe a little bit before there was this big thing about copper and people like churches were having to lock up their air conditioning units because people were breaking in and stealing the copper out of them so i think this was just kind of one of those things that happened and so they were literally they took the string of lights to get the copper out of that you have to know how little copper is actually in those things if any yeah. So that's they did all of that just to get the copper. It's so interesting to me. And yes, I'm about to be kind of like that person about it, but they spent 70, what, 7500 7, on decorations for the city when their unhoused population is what it is. So instead of putting that money into, I don't know. Helping the unhoused population in Birmingham. $7,500 is a drop in the bucket, to be it, perfectly honest. I mean, it really is, but what did you expect? Well, and I don't think they ever actually figured out who did it. I couldn't find anything that, that said who did it, but $7,500 is a lot to spend on a tree and, and trimmings. Yeah, and especially in Birmingham. And it was it, it was brought from North Carolina. I feel like that was kind of unnecessary, too. <laughs> Listen, we do perfectly better in North Carolina. Oh, sure. Sure, 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 sure. (laughs) I thought that was an interesting little piece that tied North Carolina, so I had to mention it. So that's the first one. Next, we have the year 2000. A lot of people don't want to remember it. You, You will probably remember this, Montana. A lot of people don't want to remember it. Joe Hayes, who lost his house in the storms, told the Tuscaloosa News years later. I remember it every December 16th at 1.15 p.m. That's about the time it passed through. Nine days before Christmas in the year 2000, an F4 twister with winds as high as 260 miles per hour swept Tuscaloosa County. Within just 20 minutes, according to the National Weather Service, it lasted from 12.54 p.m. until 1.12 p.m. It killed 11 people ranging in ages from 16 months to 83 years. There were also 144 injuries and countless buildings were damaged and or leveled completely. Tuscaloosa EMA reported nine of the fatalities occurred in mobile homes, one in a vehicle, and one in a commercial building converted to residential use. 
Six of those killed were females and five were males. The tornado was on the ground for a total of 18 miles, all within Tuscaloosa County. The tornado path was estimated to be 750 yards wide at its maximum intensity. Yeah, they get pretty big down there, which is interesting. Like yeah. the uh, everybody, if you don't know, Alabama has an average of 256 tornadoes per year. Um, Insanity. It's it's a lot of tornadoes, and actually, and that particular path has actually been crossed. I think when I was looking at it, that specific path has been. They've had tornadoes on that path that that one followed four different times in recorded history. Just like the, when I first started working at the place where we met Mm -hmm. the week, the very first week I started at that job with Samantha, uh, again, we're not going to tell you where that was at. Um, she was on PTO, (laughs) but it was, it it got better. (laughs) It was 2011. I think it was April. It was April, and it was when mm-hmm. the tornadoes came through Tuscaloosa again mm-hmm. and into Birmingham. And they told us they they didn't let us go from work. They didn't let us go from work. And then all of a sudden, bam. All right, we're releasing you from work. You need to go shelter. Wait, you can't like, leave. Immediately. You can't leave. You're going to shelter in place. Like, we could see the tornadoes coming through downtown Birmingham. It was terrifying. It's the scariest thing I have ever seen. And while the services have gotten better and we're better able to anticipate where they are, it's still nowhere near where it really needs to be. We just, to some extent, we're just limited on that. I don't know how much we could really do to improve that. Um, they just pop up sometimes and there's not a whole lot of warning. Well, and with the temperature dropping and cold fronts meeting warm fronts, Alabama stays warm a lot. I mean, it gets mm-hmm. cold there, but it doesn't stay cold. And I think December is actually pretty rare for tornadoes. Yes, um, typically. So it's just, a, it's just a case of this was just the perfect weather for it. Merry Christmas. And F4, by the way, by the way, an F4, the highest it goes is F5. Mm-hmm. So this was I, a massive tornado. And I think that April storm where we had... Because it wasn't in April, that April one that I was talking about. It wasn't just one tornado. It was like no, 50 it was something a lot. tornadoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was yeah, there a was lot. a lot all at once. That's one reason why they didn't, didn't let you guys leave. Because they almost couldn't keep track of them at one point. Because yeah. there were just so many. So, tornado in December, only in Alabama. In what 1993. Great <laughs> gift. In 1993, Jeffrey Lynn Borden was sent to death row. Oh, sorry. 1993 is the next one where the crime happened. Jeffrey Lynn Borden was sent to death row in 1995 when he was sentenced for the December 24th, 1993 murders of Cheryl Borden and Roland Harris. And this one I had heard of. The murders took place at a family gathering in Gardendale on Christmas Eve. According to a summary presented at trial, Borden had traveled from Huntsville to Gardendale to deliver his three children by Cheryl Borden, his legally separated wife. After Cheryl Borden arrived on the scene, Jeff, which that's backwards because I I feel like it's backwards because she was going to her families for a family gathering and he was bringing the children there from all the different things I saw. So I saw different reports, but the main one I saw was that he got there. So it was really, he arrived on the scene, but anyway, well, he when, shot her. When Sorry. you said that he was delivering them, I was like, yeah, was he, was he well, I mean, he could have in, 
in theory, he could have been sitting in the driveway or something waiting for her to get there. Like she could have yeah. been out running errands or something. But anyway, Jeffrey Borden shot her in the back of the head outside of the house in the presence of their children. Borden then shot Roland Harris, who was his wife's father, in the back as Harris tried to run into the house. He was um, brought before a jury and they recommended death on a 10 to 2 vote. So I guess this just had to be a majority. Jeffrey Lynn Borden died at the age of 57 by apparent suicide by hanging by a bed sheet in his cell. His body was found at approximately 2.30 a.m. June 3rd, 2018 during a security check and he was pronounced dead at 3 a.m. There was testimony at the trial of the numerous issues Borden dealt with, some of which were believed to have been possibly caused by a car accident in 1977 that left him in a coma for four days and a severe head injury. He is believed to be suffering for, from schizoaffective disorder, which is a mental disability combining schizophrenia and depression. Oh, that's interesting. And also, I've never uh, heard of that. I'm not using it to excuse. I was just doing a quick. No, no, no. Yeah, no. It, there's no excuse. I, my thought process was when, so he he killed the mother of his children, and mm -hmm. then so then they're gonna sentence him to death as if those children hadn't had enough loss in their life, and her father, so yeah. their grandfather too. Like again, this is why I don't like the death penalty. Yeah, and it seemed like from all accounts that I read, he was very mentally ill. Honestly. Um, and he'd been suffering for a while. Well, I mean, anybody would suffer. Anybody would be, would have to suffer something to do something that egregious, but at the same time, like a head injury and being diagnosed with those things. I can't believe that they wouldn't do like a psyche evaluation or something like that. They did, but it was basically, that's not justification. We're still handing him this sentence so oh my god alabama yeah so that's that case in 1989 federal judge robert vance was killed by a mail bomb on december 16th another december 16th by the way there's i think there's one more in here so that's Wait. a weird day why does that sound so familiar i don't know it was 1989 <laughs> so maybe you've heard of this it was it was a pretty big what year was it that the you covered the bomber in Alabama? Didn't mm -hmm. he mail bombs? Was this no? The same he didn't thing? mail them. He okay. didn't mail them. He left them. Okay, and that was nineteen ninety six. That was ninety six. Okay, so well before that. So this was a little while after, but there were a lot of this type of thing done. Um, I think sporadically. But in any case, Vance spent much of his life working for racial equality. While he was a chairman of the Alabama Democratic Party from 1966 to 1977, he successfully integrated the party, leading the first racially mixed state delegation to a Democratic National Convention in 1968. He also removed a racist banner under the white rooster, a symbol of white supremacy, from the party seal. While practicing law in Birmingham, he broke the gentleman's agreement among local lawyers that had kept African-Americans off juries in the city. A gentleman's agreement. Oh his wife, Helen, was seriously injured after the judge opened a package that had been sent to his home detonating the pipe bomb. A similar pipe bomb killed a lawyer in Savannah two days later. It was believed that the possible motive could be that the two men's work could be the two men's work in civil rights, but that was found to not be the case. 
Judge Vance was one of three federal judges assassinated in the 20th century. So it was a pretty big case. Wait a minute. It was found not to be the case, but it was targeted against judges that were. No, 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 no. These. It. I'll get to it. Okay. This is very, very brief. Give me just a second, girl. I'm sorry. You know how I feel about (laughs) these things. Walter Leroy Moody was linked to the crimes through a similar bomb nearly two decades earlier that had injured his wife when it exploded. His prosecution in that case led to his resentment of the courts leading up to the 1989 bombings and specifically targeting the judge. It's believed the other bombings were to hide the real motive in the case. So he targeted that judge because that judge was involved in the prosecution of his case. Okay. He did the other ones to hide the true motive, so maybe I guess they wouldn't catch him. What was he, wait, what was he convicted of again? Uh, because he had, uh, he was linked to crimes through a similar bomb two decades earlier. And somebody just remembered it, by the way, that, and it had injured his wife when it exploded. Oh. And it's a bomb. So that automatically brings you on certain types of crimes. Yeah. You're permanently on a watch list after that. You're you're in trouble. Uh, he was executed in April of 2018. What the kill? What is what is with Alabama? <laughs> that there's a lot of those in here. Let me. Nineteen eighty, Birmingham police officer Edward Alley was shot and killed while apprehending two convenience store robbery suspects on Christmas Day, nineteen eighty. Court records provided this statement. Officer George C. Rhodes of the Birmingham Police Department received a dispatch at approximately 12.28 p.m. informing him of a robbery in progress at the Magic Mart on 5th Avenue South. Rhodes was directed to cover 5th Avenue South, and Officer Alley, who was the victim, was directed to catch Crestwood Crestwood Boulevard. Alley radioed that he was behind a car matching the description of the robbery suspect's car and that he was approaching a Puerto Madrid road from Crestwood Boulevard. Rhodes proceeded towards Crestwood Boulevard as Alley reported the tag number of the car, which he had in the meantime stopped. The next radio dispatch Rhodes heard was from a civilian saying that an officer was down. Rhodes arrived at the intersection of a Porto Road and Crestwood Boulevard shortly thereafter and found Alley lying in the street on his back in a pool of blood. Allie was still alive, but could not talk. Later that day, he died of shock, resulting from the loss of blood from a gunshot wound to the right side of his chest. Well, that's sad. Christmas Day, that just sucks. Mm-hmm. 1976. On December 20th, 1976, Birmingham... This one's rough, so I'm just going to give multiple trigger warnings. You might want to fast forward this whole case, honestly. December 20th, 1976. I'm not going to go into it, I promise. Birmingham Southern College student Quinette Sheehane, I think is how you pronounce it, was abducted, tortured, and raped and murdered at the age of 21. Her mother, Miriam, was inspired to form Victims of Crime and Leniency and has led a victims' rights movement that reshaped Alabama's judicial system. Quinette had actually graduated from the college in 1976, but had stayed in Birmingham before heading home to Barber County to spend some time with her boyfriend. She ran into a convenience store close by when she was kidnapped by three men. They spent hours torturing and raping her before shooting her in the head when she tried to run away. 
They then dumped her body, which was found the next day. When her daughter was killed, Sheehan or Miriam was a bank employee in the town of Cleo, and that's how she expected to spend her life. But her frustration with the legal system changed all of that. Wallace, Norrell, Thomas, Eddie, Bernard, Neal, and Jerry Lee Jones were eventually convicted. Thomas was executed by electric chair in 1990 and gave a lengthy statement as he was dying, still proclaiming his innocence. Neil was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole in June of 1979 and is still serving his time, as far as I could tell, at St. Clair Correctional Facility. Jones was initially convicted of capital murder and sentenced to the electric chair, but at his third trial was convicted instead of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. This sentence started in March of 1982 at Staten Correctional Facility. He has since been up for parole four times and denied each time, the most recent being in 2018. How are they going to give one person the death sentence and not the other two? And how are you going to give one the death sentence and then, oh, wait, no, we'll give you life, but with the possibility of parole, despite the fact that the other person got life without the possibility of parole? Yeah, three yeah. three different sentences. Oh, this is why they... I mean, they must not have had enough evidence or enough evidence was shot down by the subsequent trials. Or they didn't have good enough lawyers or... Yeah. The whole thing is just like a crapshoot. It's a lottery on whether or not you're going to... Different juries, different judges, different defense, different prosecution. Like, yeah. Just if it's a crime that was committed by a party of people, they should all get the same sentence. Yeah. You would think. Enough. Miriam Sheehan said early on that her goal was that her daughter would not be forgotten. That is the very one thing. That is the very one thing after she was killed I was determined I would not let happen, and I think I've succeeded after 38 years. She said she knows there's the possibility that Jones could get parole one day, but she doesn't dwell on it until she has to. I tried to try to dismiss it until I get the notice that he's up for parole again, she said. That's one reason victims can never get over their victimization, because it's thrown back in their face so much. It's always there. Your life is never the same. You have a life, but it's just a different life. That's sad. It is. She is. You can look her up, though. She did make a huge difference um, with the victims of crime and leniency and has made so much difference in the judicial system in the state. So it did lead to at least she was able to do something with that tragedy. 1963. Tuscaloosa native and legendary singer Dinah Washington had a heavenly voice and a hell of a life. She was known as the Queen of the Blues and had married six times. <laughs> My girl. Yeah. Quincy Jones once said of Washington, or said Washington could take the melody in her hand, hold it like an egg, crack it open, fry it, let it sizzle, reconstruct it, put the egg back in the box and back in the refrigerator, and you would have still understood every single syllable. But the singer's musical gifts were offset by a wild and extravagant personal life. Married, this one says married seven times, but from all I could see it was six. Washington battled weight problems and raced through her profits, buying shoes, furs, and cars in an effort to lift her spirits. On December 14, 1963, she died of an accidental overdose of pills at the age of 39. So December 14th, there's something about that time of the year. Her death was caused by a lethal combination of... Hold my breath. Secobarbital, 
The most frequently used drug in physician-assisted suicide and is considered to be an obsolete sedative hypnotic, which is a sleeping pill. So it was a combination of that one and amobarbital, amobarbital, which is a, actually it was used as an off-brand truth serum. And, but its approved use was for anxiety, epilepsy, and insomnia. So it was like two different types of sleeping pills that she overdosed on. And a, according to reports, those were both prescriptions. She actually had prescriptions for them for her insomnia and her diet. Her diet? Yeah, I don't understand the diet part unless maybe it had a appetite suppressant well, feature, but I couldn't see anything about it. God. Seasonal depression is a real thing, guys. Yeah, but the 60s, man, there was a lot of women that were on a lot of different medications at that time. Oh, um, yeah. A lot of them like were on speed. Sleeping pills and then speed during the day, sleeping pills so they could sleep. So it was like uppers and downers, just constant. And it's so, like, it's so crazy. Like, she's spent her time, like, buying stuff to try and make herself feel better. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. And that is a symptom of ADHD. <laughs> symptom of a lot of things. <laughs> Uh, it's just like, well, it's like, it's the impulsive behavior, Mm -hmm. uh, you you know, whatever, but God, I mean, I'm glad that like mental health has come such a long way, but it still has like leaps and bounds to go and blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah. But like back then it was just like, you're being hysterical. It wasn't even acknowledged. No. Men couldn't show it. And women that did were thought to be crazy. Yeah. That, and they that were was it. Institutionalized. Where, I mean, we have covered it. Friends, go back to our asylums episodes. It's just, it's crazy to me that something like that, it was, it was so avoidable. And I mean, she's married six times, so she was obviously looking for something. Yeah. Well, I mean, we all are. <laughs> It's just whether or not you can find it. It's just a shame. Anytime you have something like that, even if they aren't these great singers or great actors or whatever, it's still a shame. Nobody should ever feel like they have to do, take a bunch of medications in order to reach a certain image. But many of us do. Yeah. Ugh. This is what it is. It's changed, but it's not. Yeah. 1956. On Christmas night in 1956, a bomb ripped through the home of Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth days after he fought to integrate Birmingham buses. It was an experience Shuttlesworth described in an interview with the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute. All of a sudden, boom, the lights went out. I felt a pressure I've never felt before. The wall was demolished and the roof came down. The floor came out from under the bed. I smelled that smoke of dust of an old house mixed with an acid smoke of dynamite. Everyone thought I was dead. I could hear a police officer say, I'm so sorry. I know these people and I didn't think that they would go this far. If I were you, I would get out of town as quick as I can. I said, officer, go back and tell your clan brethren. This is quotes, by the way, your clan (laughs) brethren that the war is on and I'm here for the duration. I went and sat in the back of a car. My six-year-old daughter curled up in my lap and looked up in my face and said, they can't kill us, daddy, can they? I said, no, darling, they can't kill folks. The parsonage occupied by Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth was destroyed by dynamite placed next to the Bethel Baptist Church in Collegeville. The bombing happened on December 25th, 1956. The 16 sticks of dynamite blew and destroyed the home and damaged the church next door, but thankfully no one inside was seriously injured. So everybody lived. That was, oh my God. And it was such a problem. I mean, 
well, white supremacy is still a problem. Uh, but like back then it was t- so targeted and a lot of those people were, and some still are in the police force, like the bombing of the church that killed a bunch of the kids, which oh, will go, I will do at some point. Yeah. That just, it's fucking disgusting. Like mm-hmm. I don't, your hatred of an entire race leads you to do some of the most disgusting acts in life. And it's something I can never wrap my head around. I can't wrap my head around any person thinking that any other human being is less than them. Yeah. It's that simple. Yeah. Can't Anything less than, let alone not an actual human being. That's just beyond me. So and that that's time, all. That time in Birmingham was, I mean, it was, it was, it was bad. Oh, it was bad. Poor so, family. At some point, we'll go. I'll go over some of the stories of it. It's going to be of that specific time, but I'm going to have to space them out because there was quite a few. Yeah. 1944. Alabama in 1944 gave the world one of the saddest Christmas songs ever written. <laughs> of course, we did. Did I write it? <laughs> in 44, I hope not. Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas was written by Birmingham native Hugh Martin for the movie Meet Me in St. Louis. From AL.com's Kelly Kazak, which I've mentioned before. She also had a book that I've referenced a few times, but she wrote for AL.com first. Despite its title, the song had melancholy lyrics because it was to be sung during a scene in which Judy Garland's character, teenager Esther Smith, was trying to comfort her little sister, Tootie, who was sad about the prospect of the family moving from St. Louis to New York. Garland, however, thought the song was too maudlin, which I've never heard that word. I should, probably should have looked it up, but I forgot. Before the battle reached a stalemate, however, actor Tom Drake, who played John Truitt in the film, stepped in and reasoned with Hugh, telling his old friend that refusing to change the lyrics could ruin his life. Some examples of the changes. So though he initially resisted, Martin made several changes to make the song more upbeat. For example, the lines, it may be your last and next year. <laughs> just fine. Your dogs are fine. Oh Listen, my gosh. I'm, I'm not spending a lot of time editing this episode. You guys can kiss my whole butthole. <laughs> I'm you will hear my dog singing the song of their people in the background then. Yes. I don't know what else to do. Just I don't know what carry, they're barking at. There's carry no on. I want to. I want to go and play my switch in the bathtub. <laughs> Fair this is my comfort. Okay. Okay. For example, the lines "It may be your last," and next year we may all be living in the past. Became <laughs> "Let your heart be light." Next year, all our troubles will be out of sight. <laughs> I don't know that that's better, but also it's third around. I mean, it is better. It's just like maybe your last. I love that. That's that was originally in there. This dude was in a dark place. I he was that. in my place at Christmas that. time. I love that everybody is suffering from seasonal. <laughs> <laughs> What's this story? Yeah, Garland's versions of the song, which was also released as a single by Decca Records, became popular among United States troops serving in World War II. Her performance at the Hollywood Canteen brought many soldiers to tears. In 1957, Frank Sinatra asked Martin to revise the line, until then, we'll have to muddle through somehow. 
He told Martin, the name of my album is A Jolly Christmas. Do you think you could jolly up that line for me? <laughs> Do you think you can go fuck yourself, bro? <laughs> <laughs> like, what? <laughs> so Martin's new line was, hang a shining star upon the highest bow, which we all know. Martin which- made several other alterations, changing from the future tense to the present, so that the song's focus is a celebration of present happiness rather than anticipation of a better future. Okay, that's I I agree with that, but also mm-hmm. I feel like the changing of that lyric was kind of like a slight, like hang your what was it? Hang your hang a shining star upon the highest bough. Yeah, like why don't you go ahead and hang this off of your <laughs> stick or something? Just like just like a little slight and sad. He's like, yeah, every time I'm gonna that, sing that's so this. much better. He's like, that's so much better. Thank you. <laughs> However, Sinatra had recorded the original song's lyrics in 1948, which is interesting. And I wonder if you can even find that. On the Julie Garland show Christmas special, Garland sang the song to her children, Joey and Lorna Luft, with Sinatra's alternate lyrics. So it changed again, and she sang the newer version at that point. So it used to be a gloomy song. And honestly, if you've ever listened to it, I could totally see why it would be a gloomy song, because the tempo of that thing is not... Of a happy version. It's still a gloomy song. It's still a gloomy song. It's, it must have been bad before. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to hear like the original version of it. Quite. I frankly. couldn't find it. I kind of. I tried to find the lyrics. It, it. I might not be good at finding stuff, that, and maybe that's just what it was. But I couldn't find the original lyrics. I don't know if they even have them, honestly, because he had written the song for that movie, and they changed it before the movie was released. So they may not even have it. But apparently it was bad enough that they made a comment about it and it's been reported widely. Well, let's let's be clear. It wasn't bad. Like it wasn't bad. It was simply depressing. It was very depressing, apparently. <laughs> and I get that. In 19 uh next one is 1929. The Woodland the Woodlawn Infirmary, which operated as a Birmingham hospital from 1922 until the 1940s, was the site of a shocking murder on December 19th, 1929. Apparently, it was infamous, but I have never heard of it, and I really had to dig to find it. In the, mor- in the morning on December 19, 1929, club owner W. Ross Keith was reportedly drunk when he visited his wife, Betty Clyde Sul- Sullivan Keith, in her hospital room at Woodlawn Infirmary. She had been there since the night before, having been stabbed by her husband, who was now visiting her, by the way. Moments after he entered, he drew a gun and shot her to death as she lay in her bed, then turned the gun on himself, shooting himself in the arm. Mike Rice, bro. Right? (laughs) Stabbing wasn't enough for you? Right? You had to wait an entire night. Like, that is, oh my God, that is fucking terrifying. Like, he stabbed her. in a hospital. She should have been safe in a hospital, you would think. She should have been safe. But then he had the entire night. Why wasn't he in prison? He had the entire night to think about it, come up with a secondary plan, and then went in there and executed that secondary plan. Yeah. Well, I think he shot out he was going to shoot himself more... I don't think he was planning on killing himself. I do think he intended on doing a little more damage than he ended up doing um, when he just shot himself in the arm. I think he was trying to do that to like maybe defend himself. Like, oh, somebody came in here and just started shooting. 
Um, but it didn't do him any good because he was convicted of murder and sentenced to life in prison. That being said, he was paroled in 1938, which was only about nine, nine years after her murder. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. There's, there's that. There's, there are two extremes here. (laughs) There's two very big extremes. And one is a death sentence and one is whatever the fuck that just was. Eight, eight years served in prison, maybe, assuming he got tried and convicted in a year. Let me. That would um, be eight years served. I'm going to make it seven to eight years. An educated guess. He was uh, white. I didn't see that actually. So I don't know. The likelihood is yes. Uh, so this one I'm not going to go over a whole lot just because I already covered this whole list. But from 1919 to 1923, which was the Birmingham Axe murders, several of those attacks took place right around Christmas. Um, so I'll just list the few that were real close. Store owner John H. Belzer was robbed and killed at his 1801 Fifth Avenue North shop on Christmas Eve 1919. The first. Before you go on. I just want to like put like a festive spin on this and anyone who's <laughs> okay. listening to like these acts murder recaps, cause we have covered them. Right. Um, think of the acts murderer as wearing a Santa costume. All right. Continue. <laughs> you might've been actually, there's one of those <laughs> later on anyway. Um, yeah. So the first one was on Christmas Eve, 1919, um, that was the first believed to be the first in the series of axe murders that shocked Birmingham for years to come. Several of the subsequent crimes and alleged confessions came in their Christmas season, oddly enough. Joseph Mantween, that's the one I had a trouble with last time and I'm still going to have trouble with it now. And his wife, Susie, were killed on December 21st. Wait, was it his wife? Is 12 years, 12 years younger? Probably. It could be his daughter, though. Anyway, Joseph and Susie were killed on December 21st, 1921 in their store at 32nd Avenue North and Church Street in Birmingham's Collegeville neighborhood. Look, I would say I remember it, but I've already covered it and that was weeks ago and my brain is mush. So there. Mose Parker, the first black victim of the spree, was found slain in the backyard of his home in Titusville three hours later. In January 1924, Birmingham police announced five suspects in the Axe murders had confessed after being injected with a truth serum Mm -hmm. on Christmas Eve in 1923. Mm -hmm. We all know how that truth serum works. Mm -hmm. Or doesn't. Next in 1910, on Christmas Eve 1910, Jefferson County Deputy Deputy Sheriff David Alice Ollie, known as Ollie, Battle, was visiting his parents in Oak Grove when he was asked by a neighbor, Jep Knight, to investigate gunfire at the Laird Homestead. According to Behem Wiki, which I did keep this because that's the only place I could find. I mean, I could find a very brief overview of this on a couple of different sites, but they all said the same thing, so I didn't change this. The two found John Laird standing over his father's body with a gun. Laird fired at battle, hitting him in the hip, and six more times in the back after he turned to flee. Knight, who had stayed back during the confrontation, summoned help. Laird fled with two others, but is believed to have been caught and killed by a posse. And that does say posse. Oh. Battle died the next day in his home. He's buried under an obelisk at Oak Grove First Baptist Church Cemetery. He was only 33 years old. Wait, he died at his home? Go to a hospital. 
was Christmas Day. Couldn't be bothered, I guess. I don't know. It was 1910. I don't know how great the hospital would have really helped them, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I know Walmarts are closed on Christmas, but hospitals are not. <laughs> they have different Oak Grove. A lot of different, they a different have, time. Look, they had hospitals in 1910, and they... How they close? Knew, and knew, how easy was it to get there? But they knew about germ theory. Uh, okay. Oh, your dogs, now my dogs. <laughs> Maybe they were cleaner in the house than they were in the hospital at that point, though. Probably. I wouldn't be surprised. Hang on. Nineteen oh seven is the next case. Though the headline said seventy five, it was actually fifty seven miners killed in the December sixteenth, again, nineteen oh seven Yolande mine explosion near Birmingham. Broken-hearted families now huddle at the scene of yet another mine explosion. The third such this month, this time in Yolande, Alabama. The latest mine disaster has taken the lives of at least 50 husbands, fathers, brothers, and sons, leaving behind widows and orphans to weep and mourn. They now face an uncertain and likely bleak future without their family breadwinners, a news report said. Within an hour, 14 men had crawled out of the mine, and their description of the inside was heart heartrending. Several of these men were badly burned. Two hours after the explosion, it was still impossible to venture near the mouth of the mine. So hot was the air that was rushing out. Uh, where is that mine at? Uh, Yolande, I guess is how you say it. But it's just yeah. outside of Birmingham. I don't know. Oh, okay. I didn't pull up a, a map. No, I'm I'm just curious. <laughs> it was one of three. There were the other two were were bad. It was the other two were also in the month of December, and it made it the deadliest month of all time in U.S. history. I think um, recorded history, anyway. I think, and, and the other two were Pennsylvania and West Virginia, and one For of them was over. Do what? For like mine deaths? Yeah. Just, okay. And one of them was over 300 people died. Because Alabama had like deposits of, um, what was it? Oh, there was had, all kinds of stuff. They had a bunch of minerals here mm-hmm. for the things that could make steel. And Yeah. You, um, listen, I'm not that kind of Also went through that, all of that with the Birmingham Axe murders yeah, at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, So, uh. It has all the ingredients necessary to make it all like within the close within the Birmingham area. So made it the perfect place to have those, to well, have I mean, the mines and then to have the, the metal working. Alabama in and of itself, like is a death trap <laughs> or basically for well, anything. I just, and I just want to lay it out. Over 250 tornadoes a year on average. That's on average. Yep. You can probably have more. And you can have more than 50 in one day in one storm. Laying True. it out there. Let's lay that aside for a minute. Civil unrest and discrimination and all that stuff. We're going to lay that aside. You know, that kills plenty of people every year. Um, there are caverns, and we covered it on the second episode ever of this podcast that run through the entire state of Alabama and at any given moment you can be on a highway (laughs) and the entire highway can just collapse under you because there's a cavern under it that's Alabama 
That is the most yeah. terrifying thing. Like anytime I'm in Alabama now, I'm like, oh God, I'm on this highway. I could literally <laughs> just fall. For those of you that hole. don't know, the interstate was actually closed for a significant amount of time between, um, I guess it was between Coleman and maybe Hansville um, due to a sinkhole. And they had uh, to redo so- all of that. So <laughs> same thing between uh, that, the Pelham exits, mm-hmm. because when they were doing construction, the entire thing, like they were in yeah. the middle of construction, they had already set everything up. And then one day it just all Oops. fell into the ground. Oops. Whoops. Bye. Well, <laughs> that happened. Now we got to fix it. <laughs> so all of this being said, Alabama is a beautiful state. It is. There are mountains and there are beaches. And rich with um, natural minerals and, and that sort of thing. And all of the civil unrest and things like that that I've said it is a pretty diverse place all in and of itself. It's a great place to live, but you're probably going to die from Mother Nature. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. That's we have random ice storms and have no ability whatsoever to manage during them. Oh yeah. You're going to be told that <laughs> there might be a light dusting and then you're all going to be trapped on the most major highway Snow- for, for two days. Oh for my two God. days. Uh, anyway. <laughs> I was, I was just, so glad I didn't live never, there anymore. <laughs> you never know what to expect. <laughs> no, you have no idea. You and know. that's the other fun thing. The weather can turn on a dime. Kind of like uh, when the kids were here, uh, my stepson was coming out and saying, there's going to be snow on Thursday. There's going to be snow on Thursday. Oh my gosh. The, the likelihood's gone up to 70%. Now it's saying there's an Arctic blast. And so it's going to be below freezing the next day. So it'll stick. And I'm like, Oh, well, that's going to be great. That's going to mess up our Christmas plans. Yesterday it turned to rain today. It's not even going to rain that day. It's going to rain, I guess tonight. I guess it's Wednesday, right? Mm-hmm. I've lost track of days. Um, it's going to rain tonight and maybe tomorrow morning, then stop. But it's going to be below freezing, like, for the next two or three days. And the Arctic chill factor of the wind chill, chill is bad enough that we are in a advisory or in a warning because it can cause hypothermia and frostbite. So, oh, well, yeah. Most yeah, most of the United States is under that warning right Which now is too. Because uh, why? Enjoy my dog's clicky clacky nails. We did cut our nails. nails. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of nails, uh, we trimmed. Uh, but yeah, most of the I, and I'm if we actually we do have Texas listeners. Hi, Texas listeners. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> just just in general, like it. I am sorry, like. Their uh, electrical infrastructure and the way that that whole system works, like they're uh, and that it's going to be cold. But what the hell is that noise? I think that's my husband. Um, okay, I'm gonna have to edit that out. But I find it so funny. Like people talk about um, Alabama not being able to like handle a snowstorm and things like that. Or even like a light dusting of snow. And to this, I have to say, I grew up in Alabama and I moved to North. I actually moved to Virginia and now live in North Carolina. North Carolina has similar weather as to Alabama. The difference is North Carolina is set up to handle snow 
-hmm. whereas Alabama is not because they don't normally get snow. So when we think we're getting snow in North Carolina, they go around with these trucks that have this fancy like salt stuff in it and they just spread it everywhere. And so our tires don't like fly across the road. Alabama doesn't have that. No, you know, we get, we get sand. So it adds grit to the roads. So hopefully you don't slide too bad. But you do. And also not all the roads get that. Only the main roads, the most traveled roads get that. Mm -hmm. And if it's ice, you're you're just SOL. I don't know what to tell you because you can't drive on ice. I don't care who you are or where you're from. Unless you have snow tires, you're not driving on ice. So the only (laughs) only reason it works in other states is you have the salt. The salt helps dissolve the ice. That helps add that grit that you need. We don't have that. And we don't have, like, a huge infrastructure set up in North Carolina to handle, like, snow and stuff like that. So if it snows a lot, we all just stay home. Like, eh. Well, Um, and that is a main difference, though, I will say. You know to stay home. Mm -hmm. Entirely too many people in Alabama don't. They still go out, and that's where we get problems. Unless you live like me and we're out in the country and we're like, heck yes, snow day. And I wake up and I'm seeing four wheelers and go-karts and all kinds of stuff just going all over the place and having a blast, (laughs) spinning around, wrecking in water. Oh, it's fine. We'll just run back in the house. It's cool. But in the cities, y'all are nuts driving around in this mess. No, thank you. I'll just stay inside. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) They're wild. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, got up on a tangent. I know. It's going to be cold. I'm not looking forward to it. I don't like cold. I like cold as long as it's cold outside and I can enjoy the warmth inside. It's been incredibly cold here. I've been trying to like blow the leaves out of the yard for days. Uh, <laughs> no. And it's just, it's too, I can't, it's too cold. I I, I wasn't built for this weather. Nope. I, was, I was built for tropical weather. That's Florida. Florida. But then you get got to deal with hurricanes. So I don't know. Yeah, but then I get to see Megan. This is true. Hey, Megan. <laughs> I don't think she listens to this. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. Anyway, moving on to 1906. All right, so this one I am most definitely going to cover, but I don't know when. This is one of the most interesting stories I've heard recently, and I never actually thought that it would, but it comes from Alabama, oddly enough. Most have probably heard some or all of this story, Um, And I haven't decided for sure when I'm going to cover it, but I'm definitely going to cover it in more detail. I just don't know if it's going to be like a bonus episode or maybe I'll do it on one of our joint episodes. It depends on how much information I can get. I don't know if it'll be enough for an episode all on its own. Five days before Christmas in 1906, Hazel Ferris died. As the story goes, she was a married woman in her early 20s in Tennessee She and her husband fought after he told her she could not buy a hat. So she shot him. Then she shot three police officers and the sheriff, killing them all and emerging with a shot off middle finger, as you would. This is a reasonable reaction to not be. I'm saying I don't see a problem yet. Hazel then Mm -hmm. ran away to Bessemer where she had family. She found a boyfriend, or and that's literally what it what's written she found a boyfriend in alabama who about a year after the murders found out about her sordid past and decided to turn her in as the authorities were coming to get her she drank a mixture of arsenic and whiskey and killed herself however instead of decomposing her corpse became mummified 
which was a big mystery even today. I don't think they've really figured out exactly why. Supposedly, the arsenic she drank preserved her body. But she would have had to that's have drank normal. enough for that to do that. And that's not really possible because you throw it up. So I'm not really sure what happened. She must have taken something else. I don't know. But for whatever the reason, her corpse became mummified. A furniture maker who had her body because her family would not claim her realized that people were interested in the dried body and started charging people a nickel to come and see her. After no. everyone <laughs> after everyone in Bessemer had seen her, she was moved to Tuscaloosa and the furniture maker's brother's store at the furniture maker's brother's store. Eventually, a doctor, O.C. Brooks, purchased the mummy. For many years, he toted her in his car and showed her at carnivals. No, body what was he just getting away with a POV lane with a fucking corpse in it? Like, <laughs> fuck, are you Don't serious? And like you wouldn't do the exact same thing if you could. Jesus Christ, I can't. The body people was. Are, <laughs> these people are weird. The body was passed down through his the Brooks family and was displayed for years until she was finally laid to rest more than a hundred years after she had died. The mummy of Bessemer native Hazel Ferris was a sideshow centerpiece for the decades. According That's not a sideshow. Well, I don't... So, it was a sideshow because it was at a carnival, basically. Many legends surrounded Ferris. Was she a murderer? Did she commit suicide? What is certain is that in death, she became a celebrated mummy. Her desiccated remains were displayed in traveling carnivals and, later, at the Bessemer Hall of History. In 2002, the remains were finally cremated. Her story was featured on the Mummy Road Show on the National Geographic channel. No, I can tell you what she is. She's haunting y'all ass for. Yes, she is. <laughs> she was already a pissed off woman when she was alive. What do you think she's doing now? Jesus Christ! Like I just, what would possess you to? I just curiosity. We've already talked about it. Some people I have can't, serious, I can't morbid do it. curiosity. No, it's not an excuse. Like it's just not an excuse. I, why would you? I can't. Gross. People are just. No, Mm-mm. just gross. What What was the evolution of like the mentality of people that changed from then to now to say like, oh, a hundred? Well, that's true. God, oh, okay. Well, you got me. Uh, see Caverns episode about how long those remains were left out before they finally let them go. Yeah, it's just it's just people are disgusting, and I don't understand. It's something I can never wrap my head around. Somebody was carrying around a fucking dead body that was mummified. Like I just wouldn't. I wouldn't go. Like no. Mm. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. Nope. All right. So in 1903, police officer A.J. Lockhart, dressed as Santa Claus, was slashed with a knife repeatedly by a disorderly man that Lockhart had tossed out of a church Christmas party in the Cherokee County town of Cedar Bluff. Did he? Did, Lockhart did, was shot. At, Lockhart. <laughs> no way. It gets, it, this is a, sh- it's really short. <laughs> Lockhart shot and killed the man, John Parsons, after Parsons ambushed him outside the church. The New York Times reported the story on December 26, 1903, via a wire from Bessemer. The headline read, Santa Claus shoots man. <laughs> Fuck Cole, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> What? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
The 1900s, man. <laughs> you know, it's probably one of those really creepy Santa Claus outfits, too, because it's 1903, so it probably wasn't well done. Oh, God. Just imagine, like, if you're a kid and you're like, yeah. what if they were outside? <laughs> and like, hey, it was Christmas. I hope I was a good kid or else Santa's going to Man, that makes Krampus look pretty good. <laughs> No. <laughs> oh, All right. 1897. On December 23rd, 1897, Tom Ashford, a member of the Birmingham Board of Aldermen and president of Birmingham Paint Glass and Wallpaper Company. Wallpaper what a title. Company. Yeah, that's a lot. Shot a traveling salesman, Felix Brown, in a downtown store. Brown had killed Ashford's brother, Frederick, a year before in Cortland, the result of a feud over a remark about a widowed sister of Ashford's. The original uh, housewives of Birmingham. Yeah, basically. Uh, Tom Ashford confronted Brown outside of Rosenthal's, I think, jewelry on 20th Street North and uh, on, on 20th Street North, sorry, and... I didn't have a space between there, so it looked very odd, and shot him once in the cheek. He then followed the injured man into the store and shot him twice more, once in the left arm and once in the back, penetrating his lung. No, that's overkill. The the one in the bit. cheek would have done it. I mean, just like, you, I mean you've won the kill. duel. That yeah, like, wasn't really uh, happening because the other person didn't have a gun, but you get it. You, you, you got first mark, whatever. Neither one of these react, like uh, that reaction is not equal. The first no. reaction wasn't equal to what had occurred. Ha- no. <laughs> to go Brown had, had apparently killed Ashford's brother. Okay. So I don't, it, none of this, this makes sense. This is guys. It's a bit, testosterone too much, too, oh too, too much. Ashford was arrested for assault with intent to kill at a preliminary he- hearing in judge NB Vegan's police court witnesses affirmed that Brown had made a motion towards his pistol pocket, providing justification for self-defense. Ashford was released on a $1,500 bond pending a grand jury hearing, but the case was never brought to trial. Brown, who was in fact unarmed, having left his pistol at the Morris Hotel, recovered from his wounds at the Wilson and Brown Infirmary and provided testimony in the preliminary hearing. Oh, he lived. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a poor shot. Wow. <laughs> Three times and you still didn't manage. In a in a store. What Wait, a day to quarters. <laughs> you know what? My when I when I forget my Apple Watch at home, I, I feel like shit. Could you imagine just forgetting your pistol? Especially when somebody <laughs> like dang it. I knew something was something felt wrong all day. Now I know what it was. What? Oh my god. Like I think it I think it's the you one. Can't forget, you can't just forget your pistol in the hotel in 1897 mm-hmm. after you killed somebody. That's just not smart. I'm pretty sure it's the wine and crime uh podcast girls that say never meet a man. And that sentiment has never been <laughs> so true. And that's never meet a man. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's why. Ashford, who had served as president of the Alabama Field Training Club, retired to his family home in Limestone County and raised champion sporting dogs. 
He died in 1930 at a Birmingham hospital and was buried in the Tate Cemetery on the grounds of the plantation. What is life? Yep, it's life. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) 1892. On December 17th, 1892, the body of Baldwin County tax collector E.J. Jacob Armstrong was found in the swamp on Panther Creek. It was believed that two well-known outlaws, Charles Kelly and John Hip, had gunned him down while Jacob was collecting taxes. They even stole the $2,000 he'd collected. Unfortunately for these outlaws, Jacob was well-known and well-liked, and justice was going to be handed out one way or another. According to journalist Lee Peacock, a mob of about 100 people lynched Kelly and Hip after their capture and subsequent confessions. Newspaper accounts said that on December 28th or 29th, a deputy at the jail where Kelly and Hip were surrounded by a mob and ordered to a deputy at the jail where they were was surrounded by a mob and ordered to release the men. Then they were taken by the mob of a hundred armed masked men and lynched on the courthouse columns. Of course, no one was ever charged with a crime related to it. Masked men? The people in in the mob, yeah. Supposedly masked. That sounds familiar. Anyway. This was also one of the few times that you hear of two white men being lynched. I can't, what I don't understand is, like, what did this Jacobs guy do as a, like, nobody likes taxes, and so I imagine nobody likes tax collectors. What kind He must of, have been like, nice. He hadn't been in the role for very long, so maybe they hadn't grown to dislike him. Was. I was just like, he well. Had just so- been, he'd just been elected in that position, like, within a year. When you said that, tax I collector, I was like, he deserved it. no i'm joking god sheesh all right so in 1891 another incident um this one is another one that i may cover in more detail again it's going to depend on how much detail i can get i may save it for next christmas if we're still recording by that point that will depend on a lot of different items yeah um But initially, Robert Bruce Sims, born in 1839, seemed an unlikely outlaw. However, before he died, he came to be known as Bloody Bob Sims. He served in the 22nd Alabama Infantry during the Civil War, of course, for the Confederates, but was injured in battle and later imprisoned at Camp Morton in Indiana. When he returned to Choctaw County, he briefly served as a county road surveyor. Then he started his own church or cult, if you will, that became known as the Simsites. Those that followed him learned that God's law was the only law that was necessary to follow, overruling county laws, including paying taxes on land, goods, and their new cash cow, moonshine. (laughs) Over the years, the Simsites caused a lot of problems with many people locally, attacking people and vandalizing anyone that did something they deemed worthy of the treatment. Again, their law is overrules every other law. After years of this, the locals had had enough, and on Christmas Eve in 1891, a posse and many, some reports said hundreds, of pissed-off residents surrounded the Sims' house while, the, while Sims, his wife, their children, and several of their church members were inside. There ended up being a negotiation with the sheriff finally agreeing to protect Sims' family and followers from the mob. 
so Sims agreed to surrender and exit. The men, so Sims and I guess the men that were the followers, were taken by wagon to be escorted to the jail. Unfortunately, they did not make it. The mob surrounded the wagon, dragged Sims and the other three men to a nearby tree, and hung them all from a tree limb. The women and children were spared. So, rule, rule, uh, I mean, lesson here is don't piss off an entire town. Don't. Regardless of your justification. I mean, don't kill a tax collector. True. Questionable about census, people. <laughs> they they sometimes don't even get close enough to your house to do anything, though, so. Yeah, that's true. Sometimes they just catch you doing yard work. <laughs> that's what I was thinking about. <laughs> like they did me. That's so weird. Like, don't come, don't come to my house. At all. A full stop. At all. Just full stop. Don't come to my house. <laughs> Even if I invite you, just say no. (laughs) No. (laughs) No, thanks. The last two are kind of, uh, I couldn't find any additional information, so it was just straight up from the article. 1860. The the election of Abraham Lincoln in 1860 triggered the decision of southern states, including Alabama, to split from the United States. Actually, this one, I could find information. I'm just not going to because there's no need to. The state legislator had passed a resolution in 1859 calling for the election of delegates to to a secession convention if a Republican won the presidency. Delegates were elected on December 24th, 1860. They convened the next month and voted to secede on January 7th, 1861, joining South Carolina, Florida, and Mississippi. Seven other states would se- would secede over the next five months. The Civil War began less than four months after that Christmas Eve delegate vote. Look, the South is so dramatic. We are. <laughs> That's why you are, because you're from here. <laughs> well, I think it I think it has something to do with me being a Leo. And, like, being a twin. All the things? And, you know, just all all of the things. All the things. Mm -hmm. So the last one is 1813, the Battle of Holy Ground, which took place on December 23rd. It was a major battle in the Creek War of 1813 to 1814, according to the Encyclopedia of Alabama. The battle was an act of retaliation for the massacre at Fort Mims in Baldwin County, where some 250 white men were killed by 700 Creek Indians. Well, I mean, I don't want to say that they deserved it, but we won't go there. Uh, (laughs) There's some quotes in here, but it's, there's a lot left out because it's actually taken from like a newspaper article from then. So obviously it wasn't in the best of uh, shape, I guess, but it says, well, obviously Holy ground or, Echonaca in the Creek Muskegon language was a settlement located on the bluffs above the Alabama, the Alabama, I think they mean river, approximately 30 miles west of present day. The battle raged for almost an hour, with the Red Stick warriors and their African American allies slowly falling backwards. The Americans failed to encircle the town completely, however, most of the Red Sticks escaped. 
Claiborne's men took the town and discovered scalps taken by the <laughs> discovered scalps taken by the Red Sticks at Fort Mims and considerable stores of food, which the poorly supplied American army carried off before leaving the Choctaws to pillage the town and burn it. Between twenty and thirty were killed in the engagement, referring to the Native Americans, including a dozen African Americans that were living among them. Claiborne lost one man with 20 wounded. In the days immediately after the battle, Claiborne's army burned other Creek camps and then retreated to Mount Vernon. So not a lovely day in our history either. And well, it was two days before Christmas, quote unquote. That's true. Christmas, Christmas is depressing. Okay. It is. Just overall, I, one of my, my youngest stepdaughter asked me, um, this past weekend, she said, how long has Christmas been around? And I was like, it's been around for a long time, sweetheart. And she's like, like a hundred years. And so I, I was like, let's, let's Google this. I'll give you an accurate answer. Um, since like 400, <laughs> just yeah. 400 <laughs> the year 400 so i told her it was over a thousand years and she sat there and her mouth just dropped open and she said i thought maybe like 300 years but thousands <laughs> i was like yeah well, over a thousand years sweetie originally wasn't it like the winter winter solstice well, yeah mm-hmm. or something like that and then like they, they we added traditions upon traditions upon traditions and taken some out as certain uh, entities have been in power off and on throughout time. And just drugged my dog. <laughs> I noticed. <laughs> I was letting you do it. I was, uh, I was see, For anyone listening, it's CBD. Calm down. <laughs> he has anxiety. He needs drugs. Like we all do. Um, so yeah, so that's a um, little over 200 years of uh, state history for you. Well, <clears throat> Christmas state history Good job. Uh, everything's terrible. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there's a I'm lot gonna... of nice things. I'm sure that every state has a long history of bad stuff happening on Christmas. If you look at any one day, you're going to find a lot of bad stuff. But it, I just thought it was interesting and varied. So that way it wasn't just one super depressing story. Because there was a few interesting tidbits in there. No, it was all interesting. And it honestly was an episode that was purely catered to my ADHD because <laughs> you didn't have so, time to get bored or distracted I I honestly like I appreciate it so much <laughs> you have no idea how much that has spoken to me and helped me well good I'm glad that was my goal um, you actually probably do because you've had to deal with me for 13 14 <laughs> years now so fair <laughs> it's hardly uh, too long my Chris, your Christmas present to me was this episode. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Everything about it. Merry Christmas. Uh, Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to me. Good job, you. Excellent job, me. I didn't do anything, but I got to keep myself motivated. Um, positive? You did an excellent job because I already know you're going to do an excellent job editing this and getting it released out on time. Those are important things that you don't see or hear. Those are back. Yeah, there we go. That's important. Couldn't do it without you, babe. Couldn't do it without you, babe. 
Merry Christmas to our listeners. Um, hello, new listeners. I've seen we've gotten a few new ones again. Um, so for the new ones, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Reaper Tells Podcasts. You can email us. You can email us at reapergals at reapertales.com. Um, be sure to like rate review subscribe all of the things please we're on all the platforms um you're welcome for that by the way uh finally (laughs) press the button (laughs) yeah for those who don't like our social media um just don't follow it thanks yeah anyways for those that do love you mean it merry christmas until next time bye the 